Hey everybody, this is Father John Ricardo with Acts 29, and in the middle of all the craziness and the uncertainty that's going on right now, it seems from our perspective as a team that it's worth using these days to reflect in a more deliberate way on the scriptures every day, which for many of us now is the only spiritual food that we're receiving. And so we're going to do a special podcast series simply entitled, Be Not Afraid, God's Word in Uncertain Times. And we'll try to post something every day, usually reflecting on the scriptures so that we can listen in on what God is trying to say to us in these days. The scriptures today and the feast day that we celebrate, namely that of St. Joseph the Worker, uh, it's almost like being at a buffet table with a massive appetite and suddenly realizing there's not enough room in the stomach. So um, I'm necessarily going to limit myself. I want to say a couple quick things. Uh, First of all, let's entrust into the hands of St. Joseph in a special way all those who are suffering today, and particularly those who are going to die today. Joseph is the patron of a happy death. He died in the arms of uh, Our Lady and uh, Our Lord. And so let's commend into his care all those who are suffering, um, particularly but not only uh, with the virus that's going on. Second, I I feel bad about skipping um, these strong words from Jesus in John 6 that his flesh is true food, that is to say real food, and his blood is true drink, real drink. Uh, This chapter in John 6 is an extraordinarily um, rich chapter, and one which is ironic that we're reading right now uh, at Mass when most of us can't receive Jesus in the Eucharist. I pray that it will be something that we will uh, perhaps take the time to read uh, all in one sitting, rather than the way it's broken up usually at Mass, and just ask the Lord, Lord, teach us about the reality of the Eucharist and help us to understand uh, this extraordinary gift you've given But it's really St. Paul that I want to turn my attention to if I can. I've always thought that one of the the tasks that a priest has is to point people to great sources. Um, Anybody who's done advanced education knows, I mean, so much of advanced education is just knowing where to look. And so in seminary, we had the luxury of uh, wasting time, if you will, on great sources and finding things that other people often don't have the chance to go look for. And then when we do find it, we can tell people about them. And outside of Fleming Rutledge's work, The Crucifixion, most uh, certainly the most significant book that I've read in the last 10 years is the book by N.T. Wright. Those are the letters N.T. Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. Uh, his book on Paul, simply titled Paul, A Biography. If you're not familiar with Wright, he's an Anglican scholar, former bishop, uh, retired uh, as a bishop. Now he teaches lectures all around the country. He's uh, around the world. He's an extraordinary writer and uh, scholar. And clearly we would have some uh, issues on some different things as an Anglican and a Catholic, but Uh, I I cannot commend this book uh, in particular enough for people to read. It's not that long, and it is the condensation of all of his work on Paul. Uh, It's really startling, as he says in this book, that a person who wrote what amounts to maybe 70 or 80 pages could have the impact that he has had on the world that Paul has. Nobody, with the exception perhaps of Jesus, has more shaped human history in the last 2,000 years than this man, whose conversion 
we hear about today in the Acts of the Apostles. Or as Wright would often say, it's not so much a conversion. It's not. It's more like an enlightening that Paul um, unexpectedly and shockingly comes to realize, namely that uh, everything he has always known about God is unexpectedly fulfilled. All his faithfulness, all his promises to the Jewish people about putting the world right in the person of Jesus, who was crucified and risen. Let me just share, if I can, one of the quotes from uh, one of Wright's works that I have found to be particularly inspiring, and especially uh, as we think about what it is that we're supposed to be, not just as uh, Christians individually, but as parishes in particular. Like, what are we supposed to, what kind of a witness are we supposed to be showing forth to the world around us? Listen to what Wright says. Paul saw the church as a microcosmos, a little world, not simply as an alternative to the present one, an escapist's country cottage for those tired of city life, but as the prototype of what was to come. That is why, of course, unity and holiness mattered. And because this microcosmos was there in the world... It was designed to function like a beacon, a light in a dark place, as Jesus had said. The Messiah's victory is always deeply paradoxical during the present age. There is no suggestion that the world has started on a smooth and steady upward path to utopia, or that the church itself is now launched into a triumphant development. But nor will the churches which come into being through Paul's announcement of the good news of the Creator God, be mere accidental and temporary collections of individuals, each of whom happens to have responded to that gospel. They will be signs and foretastes of the new world that is to be. Hold on to that. That's what our parishes are supposed to be. Signs and foretastes of the new world that is to be, not least because of their unity across traditional boundaries, their holiness of life, their embracing of the human vocation to bear the divine image, and particularly their suffering. As Romans 8 says, the renewal of humanity is the prelude to and the means of the renewal of all creation. In particular, Wright goes on to say, The communities which came into being through the gospel, think of our parishes when he says this, were to embody that new world in the ways which our disjointed categories have separated out. They were indeed to be a kind of philosophical school, teaching and modeling a new worldview, inculcating a new understanding, a new way of thinking. Tragically, unfortunately, right? Our parishes don't look like this at all. They just look like the world around them. But we need to remember what it is that we are supposed to be so that we can be an attractive witness in the world in which God has asked us to shine. Wright goes on to say, They were were to train people not only to practice the virtues everyone already acknowledged, but also to develop some new ones. And with all that, to find a new way to virtue itself, 
the transformed mind and heart through which the Creator's intention would at last be realized. These communities were indeed, despite their powerlessness, or actually because of it, on the way to becoming a new kind of polis, that root of political, huh? a social and cultural community, cutting across normal boundaries and barriers, obedient to a different Lord, modeling a new way of being human and a new kind of power. If we do not recognize Paul's churches, the ones that he started, that is, as in some sense philosophical communities, religious groups, and political bodies, it is perhaps because we have been thinking of the modern meanings of such terms rather than those which were known in Paul's world. And finally this, the new way of being human, the new way in which philosophy, religion, and politics were all scooped up together and transcended in a renewed Jewish messianic way of life was bound to be threatening to those who lived by other philosophies, religions, and political arrangements, hence the inevitability of suffering. But it was also supposed in equal measure to be compellingly attractive. That's the word that strikes me about what our parish is, what the church is supposed to be. At one and the same time, threatening to those who do not acknowledge Jesus as Lord, who have others as the center of their lives. But even though it's threatening to them, it is amazingly, compellingly attractive to those who finally realize that politics can't deliver what it promises. Because the solution to the human person has to come from outside the human person. Because what's wrong with us is our heart. And only God can fix our heart. And when he does that, and when the result of that is forgiveness, unity between people who used to um, hate each other, dislike each other, distrust each other, renewed minds, oh, then that is an amazing community, the likes of which the world is both, as Wright says, threatened by and attracted to. Let's ask St. Paul, together with St. Joseph today, to intercede for us that our minds might be transformed. We might learn to think with the mind of Jesus and that whenever it is that we're able to emerge from this time of social distancing, we are committed to making our parishes what Paul formed the early church to be, compellingly attractive, a little world in the midst of the big world that we live in, eager to draw others in to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not be afraid. God is with you. You were born for this.